of my youth is a huge cruise, cruise podcast. I got a huge cruise, cruise, and I'm telling you the truth. It's a huge cruise, cruise podcast. I got a huge cruise, cruise. You don't really want proof. It's a huge cruise, cruise podcast. I got a huge cruise, cruise. Why do's what I do? It's a huge cruise, cruise podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose, where we discuss mental illness with the mentally ill. I am P from Charlotte. And I am Dan, a.k.a. Dan on Drugs. You can catch me on IG and on Twitter at I am Dan on Drugs. In episode five of A Few Screws Loose, we discussed uh, a lot of things that had to do with the LGBT community. Uh, we had a guest on who shared some of his experiences. Uh, shout to Jaden, Jaden Hollywood. Um, and you can catch him on Twitter at the great Jaden, J-A-Y-D-E-N. He shared uh, what life was like for him growing up in the D.C. area as a member of the LGBT and also his um, experience coming out to his father, which was it was pretty alarming to say the least. I mean, there were physical assaults, uh, a knife pulled at one point and, uh, you know, definitely um, check that episode out. There's a a lot of information, a lot of things to unpack in that episode. uh, And that's episode five of a few screws loose. So as we usher in 2019, uh, P you got any plans for the new year, man? I do not. I am not a fan of New Year's. I hate New Year's. It's my least favorite holiday. I hate it. I hate hearing the fireworks that idiots shoot off down here. I hate hearing the gunshots that people shoot off down here. One hit our house once and put a hole in the in the siding and came through into the shower. So um, I really dislike New Year's. So no, I have no plans other than to hide away in my own little bubble. Man, so... New Year's is your least favorite holiday. That would suggest that you like Jay holiday better than New Year's. I really dislike the New Year's. I mean, uh, for for multiple reasons. One, we're getting older. Um, Two, it's like this is the busiest time for me as far as at work. I work for an accounting company um, who focuses a lot on taxes um during during the tax season which is from january to april so i'll be working roughly 70 hours a week for the next four months that's not fun like the first couple of weeks it's like all right yeah whatever i can hang and then after about week two or three you're like man fuck this place i want to quit but i'd rather get paid and then you know we don't get um We don't get overtime because we're salaried employees. So it's like, yeah, we we just get fucked all around this time of year, man. So I hate this shit, man. Yeah, Well, quitting your job always sounds great and is a pleasurable experience until that second paycheck's supposed to come after you quit. Then you realize (laughs) it's not so fun. So (laughs) you probably, you know you can't quit. You know it's a bad move. And then it makes you even more pissed off because you know you stuck there. And then some dumb shit happens like you got to. You break a bone, then you got to pay health insurance. So it's, it's, it's just 
it's a pain in the ass. I know how it gets for you this time of year, and uh, I feel for you, man. Hell yeah, man. And and speaking of, you made mention of these rednecks and their fucking fireworks, man. That's all I've been listening to all day. And th- this is something I don't understand about the South, man. People people get on us a lot because we did an entire, well, almost an entire episode over at Black Law and Legal Lies about Northern versus Southern drivers, right? But, yo, y'all got to understand, man, the shit in the South that y'all do is wrong. And I hate to be that that person that says, you know, I'm from the North and the way we do things are right. But nah, man, the way y'all do shit is fucked up. Y'all don't give a shit about public safety whatsoever. And Pete can actually attest to that, man. But um, what I'm going to say is, and it's going to sound fucked up, is I hope one of these motherfuckers blow their hands off, man, because it's illegal to to light fireworks off in where I live in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. It's illegal. Back home, if we were to do the same shit, lighting fireworks, yo, you will get your ass arrested. They, and there's no question about that. Down here, you can call the police and be like, hey, these motherfuckers are shooting off fireworks. Shit's landing on my roof, in my trees and shit, because they ain't got the... uh." The fake fireworks that we're not allowed to have back home. They got shit that shoots up into the sky and explodes. They look like um professional fireworks almost. Like, nah, man, y'all shouldn't be allowed to do this shit in your in the middle of the like in the middle of the block. You got trees all around in people's homes. You call the police. Not that I called the police, but some of the neighbors do. Police just ride, ride by and be like, oh, well, well, what do you expect us to do? It's New Year's Eve. Like, do your fucking job. But yet one of these motherfuckers blow up. I was about to say, up. Dan, s- snitches get stitches. <laughs> well, Dan, I didn't believe you at first. I still lived in the D.C. area. You know, anybody who's from the D.C. area knows that you, it's hard to stay put. You go back and forth between Maryland, uh, some people in the D.C., Alexandria, Virginia, Woodbridge, back to Maryland, back to Alexandria. I'm in Charlotte now. Um, I used to visit Louisiana quite a bit. I love Louisiana. But I didn't believe Dan. I thought he was over-exaggerating when he complained about the South. When I finally moved here in 2013, I remember I I told Dan, and I know you remember this, Dan. I called you and said, Young, everything you told me about the South has been correct. (laughs) It is amazing at the total lack of, I'm going to say, the total apathy towards almost everything that is important. Nobody seems to care about here. Nah. You know, these people shoot mortars off in the streets and and anybody from North Carolina, South Carolina, Charlotte area, you know that right across the border in the, in the South Carolina is the massive fireworks warehouse. You can get everything. I mean, some of this stuff looks like it sounds like it, it came from uh, the armory and they'll shoot it off and it didn't matter. You know, they don't care. Injuries. Cops don't care. Ambulance don't care. I'm going to say this as a former firefighter EMT in the D.C. area where fireworks are illegal. Trust me, Dan, someone will blow their hands off or blow their face off tonight somewhere in your city. Yeah. So you can rest easy that I'm telling you that it will happen. I can tell you, too. Uh, it was either two or three years ago. My co-host over at Black Law and Legalize, uh, Ann, her cousin was they do these things. They make um, they're called sparkler bombs. It's where they put like a shit ton of sparklers together. And they like tape them up and then light them on fire and the shit explodes. He literally blew his hand off and he had to go to the ER, sent a picture to um to Ann of him basically just bones sticking out where his fingers used to be. 
And it's like, see, y'all motherfuckers be playing with that shit, man. There's reasons why it's illegal and you shouldn't, shouldn't, man. And you, we, we sound like two old, old, angry motherfuckers. But still, man, it's like once you make it to our age. And like I said last week, we're not that old, but we're not that young either. You start to take safety way more serious. And then once you mix it in with the other issues that we we've had and shit that we've seen over the years, it is not worth it, man. It's, it's simply not worth it. People are pain in the ass. And I'm going to tell you, my wife gets uh, anxious for Fourth of July and New Year's, you know, extremely, ex- you know, to an extreme degree. Almost. I mean, I wouldn't say extreme. She gets, you know, heightened anxiety because of, you know, when she lived here and the bullet went through and she always gets, you know, uh, highly defensive and, and nervous. And I don't blame her because, you know, people don't consider that these bullets, they either and that people don't shoot them straight up. Some, you know, they got to come back down somewhere. That's something else people never seem to think about. Uh-huh. It's just it's just a pain. I got babies that try to sleep and it's two o'clock in the morning and some asshole is still shooting off mortars. It's like, dude, come on, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no no excuse whatsoever. So, yeah, it, I, I take comfort in knowing somebody will. And this, again, sounds fucked up, but I'm in a I'm in a bad mood. So. I take comfort in knowing somebody will probably blow a uh, appendage off tonight, and, uh, and somebody gonna, will have the Terminator hand soon. The Terminator hand with the skeleton <laughs> moving and the no skin. Somebody will be like that yeah. real soon, man. And uh, before we get into the topic at hand, too, I don't know if you do this, but I'm a I'm a be real. Sometimes I really wish fucked up things on people onto people, like like really bad things, and. For instance, there was this time we was driving. We was in Mississippi. Becky and I, we were coming back from D.C. There was this car. It was like traffic, right? And traffic in Mississippi means you're really traveling about 50 miles an hour on the interstate. There was this car that was cutting left lane, right lane, two lane interstate, cutting left lane, right lane, left lane, and like riding people's bumpers and shit like that. I said, you know what? I hope they get in an accident and die because that's how stupid they were driving and how pissed off I was because they was making me anxious and other drivers. It's like you, you can't make other people go faster. So anyway, fast forward, they jump on the shoulder at one point and go speeding off. We got to um this real long bridge in Mississippi. And lo and behold, huh, that SUV, I, I'll never forget. It was a gold colored Tahoe. That motherfucker was upside down in the damn uh median. I said, ah, that's what they get. I ain't calling the police for them either. Well, you know, that'll do it. <laughs> but but now I, I was going to give an example when you stated about people driving on the shoulder. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. And, um, you know, once again, I'm going to do my at least three times a show. I got to bring up that I'm a former firefighter EMT because it's relevant. And we would be driving on the shoulder of the highway trying to get to an accident during rush hour. Anyone who's ever been on the beltway in Annandale going towards Fairfax in the morning We'll know that it is a pain in the ass. And this is before they built those new uh, high lanes, lanes, those new toll lanes that charge you $7,000 to go one and a half miles in 20 minutes. Uh Uh, We would take the shoulder to to get around the traffic and some idiot would think, oh, let me go on the shoulder to get around the traffic, too. And and I remember a few times they would dart out in front of the ambulance because they wouldn't know we were coming because it's hard to hear on the highway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we almost wrecked because somebody decides they're too good to sit in traffic. So they want to take the shoulder. So people, here we go. This is our uh, Ask a Firefighter public safety 
uh, driving tip of the day segment of the show. <laughs> Don't take the shoulder to get around traffic. Man, I'm... I I haven't seen that down here at all. I don't think our our first responders use the shoulder, and that's probably why. I've never once seen an ambulance or a firefighter on the shoulder. Well, if you if the traffic is totally gridlocked, not moving in five lanes, well, you really yeah. don't have a choice unless you want to. Because the problem is, shoulder is a last resort. Just like taking the wrong side of the street is a last resort. But sometimes the cars can't. I used to call it parting the Red Sea. When you would take the middle of two lanes and watch the cars on both sides. Um, each go left and right. It looks like you're part in the Red Sea. Uh-huh. But sometimes you can't do that because the cars won't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And if you're not in a position to get to the shoulder to the other side where, where a car can go to the left and kind of get out of your way, you have to take the shoulder sometimes. That that makes sense. Um, Speaking of pet peeves, though, I want to get into to a few things. Um, what What are some of your other pet peeves just in general? Because. I find it interesting that people who suffer from mental illnesses, they sometimes have some odd pet peeves, man. I have a lot. Is it possible to have a lot of pet peeves? Is that like saying I have five favorite things or 10 best friends? Is it possible <laughs> to have a lot of pet peeves? Because if it is, I have a lot of them. Man, I got a, I got a shitload too, man. Well, this is one of those situations where it's so many that it's hard to remember one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can recall mo- every day I say to my wife at least once, man, that's my pet peeve, man. But one of my bigger issues is I said this earlier today to one of my friends. And this is I guess this sounds kind of like obvious because everyone hates a liar. But I hate a liar to a, a degree where I feel like they should be publicly executed in the town square. <laughs> Damn. I I really hate liars. It is a pain in the ass to deal with liars, especially liars who lie about stupid stuff. My philosophy is this. All right, I'm going to give you an example. My stepson gets angry when I get on him about the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. Things that seem real petty, like stop putting the cups in the in the cabinet this way after you wash the dishes. And he refuses to do it the right way. And that's amongst many other things. So once he said, I feel like it's petty. And I reminded him, well, if you can't seem to get the petty shit right, how are you going to get the big shit right? Yeah. And... You know, I I said I brought that whole thing about petty up because, you know, little things matter. And someone who will lie about something little to you will lie about something major to you. So, you know, liars and excuse makers, man, those are my biggest, biggest pet peeves, I think, out of all of them. I'll just echo basically everything you just said, man. If you lie about something small, you'll damn sure lie about something big. One, One of the things that bothers me with liars is their their reasoning you know what i'm saying it's like some shit you just don't have to lie about there's no reason i mean you don't even benefit from the lie but yet you still tell it like almost like even going back to like our old junior high school days well well or your high school days where niggas would lie on their dicks yeah i fucked her yeah i fucked her why why bother man i mean what how does it benefit you to lie and say you slept with somebody like are we supposed to congratulate you i, I don't get it i mean am i gonna g- be able to get some you know <laughs> I, I always wondered too it's like why lie about that and it's funny as as an adult i'm 36 and as you get older and if any listeners out here aren't 36 yet or 35 or in their 30s and maybe still young i'm gonna tell you one thing certain insults when you're young that don't seem that big of an insult when you're older they're funny as shit and they're real big insults. For an, for example, 
when you're in high school, if somebody says, oh, he don't get no pussy, nobody cares. Yeah. But as an old, as a grown up, when you see these little phony tough guys walking around acting like they're so big and bad or they're so cool and so awesome, it is very funny when I look at them and say, man, fuck you. You don't even get no pussy. <laughs> it's it's funny as an adult because it's like, it's true. Hey, you ain't getting no pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Man. They don't get no pussy. That's what. So so cool with your Jordans on, you ain't getting no pussy. And that's why that's why niggas be getting mad too, man. Like if I honestly believe that, and Jaden made mention of that, um, not as lighthearted last week, but is people who don't have sex, they walk around angry all the time, man, and mad at the world. It's like Joe, even if you have to pay, go pay someone to have sex. That'll make it'll make your your life a lot easier. <laughs> like get a prostitute. I mean, yeah. Go find a. I mean, go find a prostitute. Go pay some ass, and then you know some of these bammers are such bigger losers that they go they don't get no pussy, so they pay for some pussy, and then they have to go to the clinic because they got burned or they got AIDS man. or they got a STD, and yep. then they really lost all credibility. Man, I, we still haven't touched on substance abuse yet, but right fast the um. <laughs> You remember the dude that was a virgin in the fire department and then he finally like fucked a, a prostitute or something and he said, oh, yeah, man, it was great, man. I, I'm i still coming. I, I, I came for like three days, man. It's like, nah, nigga, you need to go to the clinic, man. <laughs> like, yo, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be coming green. <laughs> like three days later, man. I mean, <laughs> hey, n- no one ever told me that when you come, that it burns. <laughs> like, nigga, you need to go, <laughs> man. <laughs> Joe, some of my some of my pet peeves. I I got a few. Um, and you call that my pyro penis, <laughs> man. What uh, what Eddie Murphy say? Yeah, one day they're gonna have some new shit, man. You just get piss flames, like doctor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my my dick burning. Oh, so it, you, you're having a burning sensation? No, fire's coming out my dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, fire coming out my dick. <laughs> Man, I, I do much like you. I have a lot of pet peeves, and some of them are, they're minor things to others, but they're major to me. Like, the one thing that irritates me the most is hearing people eat. I should not be able to hear the spit mixed with the food in your mouth. If I can hear that and I'm more than five feet away from you, that 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 infuriates me. It makes me angry as hell. It's like, Joe, can you eat quiet, please? And it's like, I don't know that that sound. There's a name for it where the sound of eating um drives you insane. Smacking. I hate smacking people. You're right. I hate that, too. That I, I echo that. I second that. I hate that. I shouldn't hear your mouth. I shouldn't see your food in your mouth. I really, I really can't stand that. Yeah, and you know what else? I hate, I, I got another pet peeve. I hate people staring at me to a degree that most people would think is extreme. I have a two-year-old son. He only wants to come around when he, when you have food. And he'll sit there and sit on the floor and stare at me for 15 minutes if it takes me 15 minutes, for 20 if it takes me 20, smiling at me, making little noises because he thinks I'm going to give him some of my food. And I say, hey, man, stop looking at me. And he won't stop. So if my two-year-old son irritates me staring at me, imagine a grown-up. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, I yeah, yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
like uh, we got this guy at the job that does that. Right. He'll literally come stand by you. Right. And for for instance, I'll be sitting at my desk uh, facing the computer. Right. And I'll see him out the corner of my eye walk up and then he's just standing there. Right. He doesn't say, hey, he doesn't say, excuse me. He doesn't say anything. He just stands there until you turn around and acknowledge him. Right. So I got into the habit of I'm not acknowledging you. I'm just going to sit here, even though I see you out the corner of my eye standing behind me. I'm just going to sit here. So one day I decided to see how long this will go on. I lied to you not. He stood there for like six minutes, just stood there. And then he started getting like the impatient body language when you start like shifting your hips and shit. I'm like, man, you acting like a little bitch right now, man. What the fuck you want? Uh, Is something wrong with this guy? Nah, he just does that shit, man. I don't know if it's some kind of like weird power trip. Like, oh, you're you're going to acknowledge me. You're you, I'm not going to speak to you. You're going to speak to me. It's, I don't know what his deal is, man, but that shit, I I leave his ass standing there for a long time. Man, I don't blame you. Some, a lot of time you got to ignore people, man. Some people just, they crave that attention. They crave that, that uh, recognition. They have some weird internal philosophy where like, like you alluded to, Dan, oh, well, you're going to acknowledge me as if it's some kind of a, I'm superior thing. And it's just, you know, after a while, you're like, look, I ain't, this guy's, if you can stand here 30 minutes, all you want, yeah. I ain't speaking to you first. Yeah, man, exactly, man. And a couple, couple other things, too, is uh, as far as pet peeves go, scents and smells, right? Like, people should know when they don't smell well. <laughs> when you stink, when you funky, you should know. For instance, I got... I get this weird smell when I go to the gym. I go boxing, right? I wrap my hands with the hand wraps. I put on gloves. Um, gloves don't have the best ventilation. So usually after I'm done boxing, my hands smell musty, right? And it's not a smell that you can just go to the sink and wash off. You need to take a shower. Anyway, as far as far as pet peeves go, smell is definitely one. Um, since anything that smells bad or off or musty, and, you know, like I was saying, I, I go to the gym a lot. I know when I don't smell fresh, I know that it's not something that you could cover up with deodorant. You can't cover that shit up with a uh, cologne or what you, you need a fucking shower. Right. So if you know that you're musty and you don't smell well, there's no excuse to walk around like that. Like and I know lots of people that do this, like there, there's some women that I work with who smell like grease, like I'm talking about cooking grease, like food grease. Like you, you got to know you smell like this and it's eight o'clock in the morning. Like what, what, what the fuck did you just fry a whole bunch of bacon and then come to work? And then people with bad breath. That's the other thing. You know, when your breath stinks, especially as a, as a fucking adult, you should know when your breath stinks. Don't come talking to me. If your breath stinks, cause I'm going to be like, Hey, you want to play a game? Okay, what game? Let's see who could brush their teeth the fastest. Motherfucker, your breath stink. <laughs> like, that shit be pissing me off, man. It's like, how are you so, like, I don't know if it's because I suffer from anxiety, and I'm sure you you do this too, is you're very self-aware. So how could how could you not know that your breath stinks? You could taste it. I, I don't get it. It's a I don't know how people can walk around smelling like that. 
I mean, when we came up, even going back to elementary school, if you had funky breath or bad uh, body odor or your clothes smelt like the hamper or they was dingy, you got cut up. They joned on you to death. You were not allowed to come to school with funky anything. Nah. But I guess these adults, a lot of these adults, either they didn't come up like that or they just don't care. And, you know, so you, you brought up the gym, Dan. I hate when people think because you sweat at the gym that that means that they don't have to sh- clean themselves before they go to the gym. People come into the gym stinking up the whole section. Oh, so yeah. I'm always standing there like, man, let me get the hell away from this area for somebody think it's me. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with people. It's offensive. You know, everybody wants to be offended these days. You know, goddamn, these people's body odor and breath is offensive. Hell, That's offensive to me. <laughs> like, man, excuse me, you're offending me, sir. Yeah, I, I I, know exactly as far as the gym. There was this dude that cleared the damn gym out. It was me and, and Becky. We was training for um one of these uh like half marathons or one of these something K's. And this dude comes in, he smells like curry. And the more he sweat, the more curry you smell. He cleared that gym out. We was like, we got to go, man. That That's unacceptable, man. And if you suffer from some kind of even a medical condition, like, yo, do you know if halitosis is considered a medical condition? Yeah, it's it's legitimate, man. That, that, that stuff is no joke. That's a real issue. Well, then brush your teeth more. <laughs> Shit. Like if you got halitosis, the toothpaste. yeah, drink that shit, man. Tell them Bama to make some some toothpaste soup for lunch, <laughs> man. So anyway, yeah, that that's just some pet peeves. I figured we'd have a little bit of fun with that. Um, before getting into the more serious topic, now this this is kind of serious: substance abuse and self medication, uh, especially when it comes to people who suffer from mental illness. Uh, I find that in our community, people of color, minority communities, we tend to go undiagnosed or underdiagnosed for so long that we find uh, we find ways to cope ourselves, which may not necessarily be the right way or um, be a healthy way to cope, which is drugs, alcohol, sex, um, you know, pick your poison. Uh, P, do you. Let me ask you this. Have you ever known someone that has had a substance abuse problem? Shit, someone. I know a lot of people. I knew a lot of people, know a lot of people. And even I had a problem. You know, I mean, I wasn't like no junkie or nothing or, you know, but I do know why people go to self-medication when they deal with uh, mental issues, especially when they're underdiagnosed or not fully understood at that point. You you do what makes you feel better. Um, some people do it for different reasons. Some people just do it because they have a, a problem. Um, and then their problem causes mental issues. And, you know, what we're kind of going to talk more about are people who have mental issues, but self-medicate to feel normal. And that's where, you know, that's where I think I'm not getting this as a uh, official stat or anything or fact but just my own assumption is um you know that's where a lot of the substance abuse amongst mentally Ill, mentally ill people come from is just trying to feel normal as opposed to being you know wasted i you you i mean we grew up together so you know this about me i had a problem with alcohol uh starting at an early age i started drinking alcohol and i don't mean like 
little sips or whatever. I started drinking like 40s at the age of 12, 13 years old. And there was a stint where I went years drinking every single day. I'm talking about 40s. Uh, as Jaden mentioned last week um, or last episode, Christian Brothers, uh, E&J, uh, Wild Irish Rose, like the cheap mad dog shit. Every day I was like pissy drunk. Do you, do you remember that, P? Hell yeah, I remember that. You was drunk all the time. Drunk at the mall. Uh, you know, you, you used to drink so much that after a while, nobody could even tell if you was drunk or not. And I know people have said this before, and it's usually bullshit when people say it. But I'm going to tell you about Dan. You know, we started driving when we were like 14 years old, right? Um, Dan, I was, I never gave a second for it. Look, disclaimer, I'm not recommending this to anyone, especially on this New Year's Eve. Um, Stay safe, please. Nobody drink and drive. Call an Uber, something like that. But I didn't have any issue getting into the car with a 14, 15-year-old Dan. Why he had just drank a, a, a fifth or a 40 or whatever, because I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, you've never gotten pulled over while uh, for a DUI, have you? I know you, you've you hit things before, <laughs> <laughs> but you've never actually gotten pulled over, right? Uh, I got pulled over once, and that was leaving Fairfax High School. We had went to a track meet out there, and I think that's at the time where you were driving too. So it was me and you remember Lil Muddy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were driving back from Fairfax High School and I'm doing just like the people that I wish died on a <laughs> in Mississippi we're doing. I was switching lanes, trying to get around people, flying. And I oh, go flying pa- now nah, I was on um four ninety five. Oh, you was on the- oh you got pulled over on the belt. I thought you got pulled over not too far from from Fairfax High School. Now nah, I made it. I'm uh, I made it a little ways away, but I flew past a state trooper, right? And I saw the state trooper as I'm speeding past him. I'm like, shit. And I was pissy drunk, so we were. We even had the bottle in the car. So I pulled over to the shoulder. I'm probably about 16 years old, and I told Muddy, I said, "Hey, man, kick the bottle under under the passenger seat." So I pulled real close to to the line, like on the driver's side to where the cop couldn't walk up to the driver's window. He would have to go to the passenger window or risk getting hit by a car traveling at highway speeds. So I'm like, all right, so that's a win. The second win was I was drinking gin, I think, or vodka, something that didn't have a a a a very pungent smell or a loud smell to it. So luckily the the cop asked me, he said, uh, is there any reason why you flew past me like that? I said, Nope, none at all. Uh, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yes, I was going 63 miles an hour. And yeah, you get pulled over for like the beltway was 55. I was going probably 65. So I said, yes, sir. 63 miles an hour. He said, okay, well, at least you're honest. I'll just give you a ticket for failure to obey a highway sign. And he let me go. And I was pissy drunk, man. I was shook the rest of the day, though, because I, I thought for sure he was going to find out that we had just kicked a bottle of gin under the seat. I think it was Seagram's. Well, I got a question for you, a follow up with that story. You know, after you you dodged a bullet, what was the do you have an exact uh, 
event or a situation that prompted you to say enough with this drinking stuff? Because I'm going to tell you, I never drank. I would. I remember once we were all sitting in the bushes, me, Dan, a few other friends passing around a bob. That's, that's what we called weed back then. And they were drinking 40s. And I was smoking. I smoked. But they passed me the 40. I said, nah, I don't drink. And one of our friends laughed and said, you sitting here smoking, getting getting ill, but you don't drink. I said, hell no, I don't drink. Everybody was everybody always drank except for me. But Dan, he stopped drinking in case Dan didn't tell you guys or you don't know. So is there uh, anything you can point to or any situational event that kind of prompted you to say enough with this? Uh, shit. This, honestly, there's not really one. There, there's been a few things that have happened over just over the course of my drinking days that were not not so great but i i can't point to any one particular thing i think when we got serious about boxing and we were training every single day i think that's actually when i quit i think i've replaced one one habit with another um and for those of you who who don't really know me personally I have a very addictive personality, so I, I think it was a trade-off. I enjoyed boxing and the rush that that gave me more so than drinking alcohol and all that other shit. So, yeah, man, I think that was it. But I got I got a whole bunch of weird drunk stories that probably would have made most people stop drinking. But I was like, nah, one more time. <laughs> man, your drink was Ice House, wasn't it? Say that again. Your your drink was your drink of choice was Ice House, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, Ice House, man. Yeah, fucking cheap ass beer, <laughs> <laughs> man. But yeah, yeah well, I, so I, you know, I, um, yeah, you you know, you brought up replacing one addiction with another. I've said that many times before too. Um, you know, I I was addicted to the gym. I was addicted to physical fitness. I I became freakishly su- superhuman level physically fit. But um, I used to say I replaced one addiction with another. I used to smoke a lot of cigars and. And take a lot of, you know, opioids. Um, but people would say, well, that's not healthy either. And I was like, bullshit. Everybody has something that they enjoy doing. And if it's not a harmful activity, I don't have any problem with replacing an unhealthy activity with uh, a positive one. And even if you have to call it an, uh, an addiction, as long as it's not dangerous or unhealthy for you or your family or relationships, why not? Yeah. I mean, that's like, I don't know. <laughs> It's weird because this is how I look at it, too. I get what you're saying, but isn't I want to word this right. Isn't an addiction an addiction, regardless whether it's healthy or not? Isn't all addiction unhealthy? Well, even though addiction means you must have something, it's still stages and levels to addiction. You know, you have <laughs> we another running joke about the shows. We bring up crack every show. You got people who take, you know, smoke crack and it ruins their life. You got other people who are functioning crackheads, doctors who smoke it, you know. So I'm not saying that's healthy by any means, (laughs) but I'm just using that to illustrate that there are degrees. You know, you may have someone who goes to the gym seven days a week, seven hours a day, and they abandon their wife, their kids, their family because they're never home. They have an unhealthy fascination with physical fitness and um, it, it creates, you know, body dysmorphia issues and things like that. Whereas you have someone who they have, you know, they, they're obsessed with going to the gym, but they have a set period of time that they go and it doesn't interrupt their or other people in their family 
you know, their lives in a negative way. Yeah. So, you know, I guess what I'm saying is as long as it's not a all consuming addiction. Right. Right. Man, that I mean, addiction, that's definitely it's a it's a slippery slope. Um, And one of one of the things that much like you said, uh, you don't drink. Right. Never really have. I I can recall the only time I've ever seen you drink alcohol. And it was like a little sip of one of them hand grenades when you came down to New Orleans just because you want to see how it tasted. That's the only time I've ever seen you even remotely. And that's not I don't even consider that drinking. But that's the only time I've ever remotely seen you with alcohol. Hand grenade in one hand, cocking my other. (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny ass word, man. Cock is a funny word, no matter how you say it. Like or what context, like if someone's really mad. Right. And they want to offend me. Right. You, You know, in our neighborhood growing up, it's like telling another dude to suck my dick. Those are fighting words. But if someone says, suck my cock, you can't help but to laugh at that <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> See? <laughs> that shit is offensive, man. That's something else. That's that's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Wait, sucking cock? It's a pet peeve of <laughs> Sucking cock is my pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. <laughs> Look, um, going back to the addiction shit, though, right? Like, I... I I needed alcohol to function. And that that's sad when you're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. Though those were the years that I was drinking the heaviest. I needed alcohol to function no matter what it was. It's like, hey man, you trying to go play basketball? Yeah, I need to have a couple beers first. Hey man, you trying to go to the homecoming? Uh like my girlfriend, she was still in school. She wanted me to go to homecoming. I had to get drunk to do that. I had to get drunk to do almost anything that people enjoy, typically enjoy doing uh, sober or without anything. But my my thing was I needed it for it was my anti anxiety medicine. And at the time, I didn't know that I suffered from anxiety. I just knew that I couldn't function in these places or around groups of people without having a drink or two or three or four. And that that's really fucking sad for a 13, like I said, 13, 14, 15 year old to turn to alcohol to to treat his anxiety, even though, again, didn't know it was anxiety. I just knew I had to drink. There was no question about it. And there were certain things that I would not do unless I had drinks, Uh, go out on dates. I remember my girlfriend at the time, she used to ask me. Uh, Dan, so you don't have fun with me or like being with me or want to do anything with me without having a drink. So do you have to be drunk to be with me? And I'm like, no, it's not you. It's I have to be drunk to be around everyone else. And yo, that, that shit, even even back then, I mean, when a teenage girl is worried about you, that that speaks to something, man. Well, you know, there are a lot of reasons why adults abuse alcohol or medications for self, you know, to self-medicate with mental illnesses. But it's also a a phenomenon amongst um, teenagers as well. Like you said, Dan, you were, you were a kid pretty much. Um, You know, obviously as a child, you're not going to understand why you feel as though you need alcohol to, to function. But the, you know, it's, it's a lot of, you know, well-known stats in, you know, uh, issues that, 
show that children are just as likely to abuse these same medic these same medica uh, medications and uh, beverages and substances as adults. They may not know exactly what it is they need it for. They'll just think, "Oh, I'm being cool." But um, you know, it's just, it's 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 an issue with children as well. So um, you know, if you look at a lot of the people in our neighborhood that we grew up with, I mean, we were all kids. All of us were doing something. Yeah. You know, for different reasons, you know? I mean, we at the time Dan wouldn't have I'm I'm assuming at the time Dan would not have said something like I need to have a couple beers before we go because I can't go unless I have my beers. You just say, oh, shit, yeah, let, let's go do this. I'm going to have my beers. It's like part of having fun. But as an adult, you look back on that and realize, damn, you know, that, that, was, that was jacked up. Yeah, it was really, really fucked up, man. It was real. It got real bad. And uh, another way you know when things are bad is when, for instance, P used to tell me, hey, man, I ain't fucking with you if you're drunk, man. You been drinking today? Like, once you start, once it gets to the point where the people that are closest to you recognize that you have a problem or because it got to the point a few years in, I used to get irritating to people when I was drunk because I was fucking drunk. And P used to get mad. Like, nah, man, I ain't, man, if you've been drinking, nah, I ain't going. So then I lie and be like, nah, man, I ain't been drinking that. I'm, I'm straight, man. And every time I lied to P, he believed it. And then I'd be drunk and keep fucking with him and like not letting him get in the car when we were far away from home and driving a few feet <laughs> and then waiting for him to reach for the door. And the thing is, he had to reach for the door. He got to the point where he got like dude at the job and he was just standing there like, hey, man, you going to do this door shit this time? Nah, man, man, I'm just standing here, man. All right. Well, it's just standing there, man. Come on, man. So. <laughs> He's standing there for like five minutes and like, all right, I guess he ain't going to do it. And then I, I drive about three feet and stop. Like, come on, man. <laughs> man, you used that to get shit mad. Used to piss me off, man. <laughs> That's one thing I did used to hate. Like when you first started really drinking heavy, the only thing that you would do that was obvious was you would get extra. You would play a lot. Now, I'm not talking about play, you know, like tell jokes. I'm talking about like you just said, oh, well, while Paul's halfway in the car, I'm going to start driving off. And at one time, you know, I was had my feet on the ground and w one foot on the ground, one foot in the car, and you driving down the street. And I'm like, man, I, man, I used that used to make me mad as I don't know what. <laughs> and I remember another time. What was that? Remember that time you were coming to pick me up off of, uh, at, at the house and that street that had that tight turn had all those motorcycles parked on it. Didn't you not? Didn't you run into the motorcycles one time uh, on purpose? I don't know if you did it on purpose, but I think alcohol was involved. Well, I might not have done it on purpose then, but yeah, I, I think I do recall like them joints was like dominoes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I do recall. I, I do recall that, man. It, yeah. Alcohol. <laughs> I did some fucked up things, man. And to just, just to kind of top it off. And I, I know we're making light of the situation because you look back now and like P said, I haven't had a drink in 16 years now. So I, I stopped drinking when most people become legal as far as being able to drink. But um, there were a couple of things I could remember. Uh, one time I showed up at P's house in a white Lexus and I went and knocked on the door. P's, uh, P's people answered the door. I said, hey, P here. Say, hey, Dan, you got a new car? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Whose car is that? Oh, uh, 
I don't know, some uh, girl from down the highway. Oh, okay. Hey, hey, P, you coming, man? Who caused that? Man, some bitch from down the highway, man. I don't know. It's like her father car or something. And I'm the only one know how to drive a stick. Hey, no, I ain't getting in that car, man. Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to show up at your house with some girl's father's car that we stole. You know, I, I've i never one, one thing to my benefit that saved me a lot of time. I mean, a lot of uh, issues, I should say, is I never got in other people's cars. When you came to the house, whenever it, we you call it rent a pipette's car, whether oh, it be renting a pipette's yeah. car yeah, or stealing somebody's car, I would always say, nah, man, y'all got it. And um, I just think that was probably a situation where, look, we did a lot of stuff, but we didn't think. We kind of just acted first and thought later, if late. Mm-hmm. And the only time we thought later is if a negative consequence happened. But if nothing happened, we didn't think later. So uh-huh. that's probably why you decided, let me come on to P's house with this white Lexus. I ain't even, you know, ain't nobody going to think nothing about it. <laughs> Man, even your peoples is like, they, they, they gave up on us a long time ago. They, hey, you got a new car? Nah. Whose car is that? I don't know. Some girls <laughs> down the highway. Okay. You pop up with a Lexus and say, you got a new car? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> they had an escort turn into a white Lexus. Man, so, yeah, sub- substance abuse, that's some real shit, though, man. And, you know, like I said, making light of it. Oh, and the other time, too, man, I, f- I forgot about that. When I showed up, I don't know if you remember this. This happened twice. Uh, we went to the bowling alley to uh because my cousin was in a bowling league. And there were these two... Two women there, they were a lot older than us. We had to be 17 at the time. They were in their probably early 20s, and we was joning on them for a long time. Like, look at that ugly bitch, man. She ugly as shit, man. Look at her, man. She fucked up. She ugly. And next thing you know, I show up to your house the next day with one of the broads, and you was like, hey, man, (laughs) what are you doing with her? I was like, man, I I fucked her. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't even know where she lives. I'm trying to get rid of her now, man. And that was that scrawny. That was that that, that, that little scrawny woman. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah, and, then, <laughs> and then my cousin <laughs> fucked her after that. And then the other one, her friend that was there the same night. I fucked her like two days later and showed up at your house again because I used to use you to get out of like doing shit with people, man. Like, yeah, I just showed up. To, I was like, maybe we can bore her to death and she'll leave. Remember which one? The the Not one, the one that we met from Maryland. Nah, the the other bra from the bowling alley. They both was from the bowling alley. One had the cardboard stomach because she probably had like five oh, yeah. kids, and then the other bra smelled like Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I I can't believe I, I I I was like, what the fuck am I doing, man? That this drinking has. I to remember stop. that. <laughs> Like damn, you, know, you <laughs> that, hey, maybe that will be the answer to the question I asked you a little while ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucked a whole bunch of ugly broads, man. Like, God damn, man. <laughs> that, and then spend I spent a whole night joining on them and didn't take her home. <laughs> yeah, that's exa- you ugly as shit. But what's up though? What you trying to do, <laughs> ugly bitch? <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And then I tried to, <laughs> I tried to be slick, right? I didn't want to take her to my mother's house because, you know, we teenagers. That's where we was living. She like 20 something years old. It's like, you ain't got nowhere to live. No, not, you uh, know. <laughs> so I, I fucked that motherfucking homeless broad, man. That broad was just. I, man, I, you was, you was lunching. Yeah. 
I, I really was. We we got a hotel room at the Virginia Lodge. Oh man, this story's getting worse and worse. <laughs> man, that joint, and I think she was excited too. So she was like homeless, homeless. I think. And I was like, Do you know how many calls I ran at the Virginia Lodge? Most of them probably like, had AIDS. It, they was all fucked up, and they all was pipeheads, and they all it was always a drug overdose uh, or domestic abuse, and it was always pipeheads. And the room always smelled like outside cigarettes and liquor. That little, you know, that smell. Yeah. Like that stale cigarette outside liquor smell. Oh man, Virginia Lodge. Did they at least have color TV? Yeah, back back then they did, and I think that's why she was siced and was fucked up. Is the first thing she did when we got there was went and took a shower. I'm like, God damn, you get excited as shit <laughs> when you see a shower, you old homeless bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know if this story could get any worse. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, it did for me because this, this is what <laughs> happened. And I was talking about this on Black Law uh, last week, too, man. Like, I ain't embarrassed. But, um, yeah, it, it got worse because <laughs> if you got to start start the sentence off with that, you probably really are. <laughs> man, <laughs> I took this broad to the hotel. All right. So after meeting her at the bowling alley and we joned on her all night, I got real drunk and took her took her well first i tried to take it down by the uh waterfront right and i was like yeah maybe we can just you know hang out here in the dark where no one could see us so she was like you ain't got nowhere like indoors you can go i'm like i ain't taking you to my mother's house you ain't got nowhere to go no uh do you want to get a hotel all right cool so we get to the hotel i paid for the damn hotel and that joint was like 65 dollars. now to a 17 year old kid that's a lot of money right young she went in, she got excited and saw the shower. So she jumped in the shower and I'm like fucking with the TV and like smashing roaches and shit. So she come get, she got out the damn shower and got in the bed. I was like, Hey, uh, you want to fuck? Like, all right. Yeah. So we fucked for all of like two minutes. And then I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck do I do now? I'm sitting here in a whole, in a rundown crackhead hotel with some broad I just done fucked for two minutes and too drunk to fuck her again. So I'm like, what do I do? So I ended up waiting for her to go to sleep and I left. I left her at the hotel. And that money spent ain't like you can get a receipt and take it back. <laughs> nah, I was blown. I got a question. Did she take a shower? Did she, all right, did she take a shower and then put the same dirty drawers on? Nah, she got out the shower. Uh, she ain't put nothing on when she got out the shower. She just got straight in the bed. Well, no, I'm talking about later. After, oh, well, late, he was gone, so you wouldn't know. I'm, I'm assuming she don't walk around with a change of clothes. So I'm, ugh. I'm assuming <laughs> she put the same drawers on that she probably had on for three days prior. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure she did, man. That, that, that was fucked up. That, that was a bad situation, man. Sixty five dollars to fuck her for two minutes. Hey, goddamn, man. So well, yeah, I tell you what, if there's something that can lead to substance abuse issues, that could be one of them. Fucking a bra for two minutes. <laughs> No, that whole story <laughs> that living with yourself after <laughs> when you come undrunk and see what you did. <laughs> you, hear, you hear your mother voice in your head. Damn it, Dan. Look, look at what you've done. <laughs> like, oh, shit, man. I'm so disappointed in you, <laughs> man. It, yeah. So um, to get back, I guess, to the more more serious shit, though. Right. Like, all right. So early on, I, I just kind of explained how. I was an alcoholic. I mean, there's no, 
pretty way to say it. No beating around the bush. I was an alcoholic from the ages of 13 up until about 17 or 18. And I didn't quit drinking totally until I was 20 years old. But how do you think uh, people find their drug of choice? I mean, I think I just kind of stumbled on alcohol, but certain people have different drugs of choice. Some people like opiates. Some people like alcohol. Some people like um, GHB. I know a guy who likes GHB. That's the date rape drug. And he just takes it himself. Well, I think a lot of times it happens on accident, uh, particularly when people who weren't abusing substances before they had a mental illness. Uh, I'm looking at a stat from NIH and it says that uh, up to um, 25, more than 25, almost 30 percent of, of people 18 and older have a, a co-occurring substance abuse. That means you have substance abuse as well as mental illness, uh, you know. And that's that's kind of, you know, it's pretty common. That's a high number. It's almost like you always get one with the other, you know, it, it, highly likely. So um, my issue, and I was I liked opiates. I've made no secret of that. Um, I found mine on accident. I didn't start taking medication because I wanted to feel better. I had gotten I'd gotten a lot of surgeries. And that's usually where a lot of people get started. I got surgeries from injuries in, in the job and I. I used to, you know, uh, pride myself on not needing to take medication. Once I had a surgery where they shaved the bone down in my wrist and I didn't think I needed my meds until the pain woke me up in the middle of the night and I took it. And it was just a Vicodin 7.5, 7.50, something small. <laughs> now I say something small, but it made me feel like nothing ever made me feel before. Mind you, I don't drink or anything. So um, I was hooked after that, because I remembered, even though I was not diagnosed at the time with any mental illness, I was still going through things. I noticed that I didn't have problems. I felt relaxed. Um, I started coming up with all these great ideas about how I was going to do awesome stuff. And I liked it. And that's how I found mine. So I can't really speak for others very, you know, all the time. But I'm just saying, I think a lot of people with mental illness, this is just my opinion, discover these things on accident. Um, and they kind of take to it. I, I think a lot of people with mental illness, I think they kind of take more to downers than uppers because if you face it, if you have anxiety, PTSD, you don't want to be more vigilant. You don't want something that's going to make you more alert. And I think that's why you see so many opioids being abused now that's rising with the rising rates of mental illness. I, I don't particularly care for downers, but what's crazy is downers actually act like uppers for me, like uh, alcohol, energetic, the more I drink, the more energetic I got. Right. Uh, same with opiates. Um, I remember having a conversation with you around that time when you had your surgery. And I remember telling you, yeah, man, I'm be taking that damn uh, Percocet or, Vi or Vicodin shit, man. You don't need that shit. Nobody need that shit. And then like a couple couple weeks later, you like, hey, man, you ever actually took that shit? And I was like, nah, man. You should try it. So I was like, nah, man, I only try that shit. And mind you, uh, ladies and gentlemen of, of the audience, that um, there's a lot of things that P said I should try that I ended up hooked on for decades, like cigarettes. Hey, you should try yeah, these cigarettes. Like cigarettes. <laughs> so. And then I quit. <laughs> yeah. And I I ended up same same situation as P, though. I ended up. um Having a wisdom tooth pulled and I got the Vicodin, the 
first time I took Vicodin, I was like, nah, man, this ain't it. I remember I was sitting up. I was like shaking and I was cold and I thought I was having an allergic reaction. My heart was beating real fast. And I was like, I'm never taking this shit again ever. And the second surgery, I forget what surgery it was. I had so many damn surgeries. It's it's not even funny, but um, same thing. But I got Percocet at that time. And I, all I remember was getting real itchy, right? I was itchy. I was scratching. And I was like, man, I fuck. I don't see how people take this shit. So I just do all the shit in the medicine cabinet. Uh, Like, whatever. I just save it. And then one day, just out of the blue, I decided I'm going to try one of these. And I didn't have a reason to. I, I didn't have any surgeries, no Ill, um ailments or anything. And man. That shit made me feel good as a motherfucker. So I was hyped up. I was like making music and shit at the time. I made some of my best music and I did some of my best photography when I had that prescription of leftover Percocets. So I was like, God damn, man. But they they act as uppers for me. They make me want to do stuff. Whereas I think for most people, they act as downers. Well, I have seen that that um, that is a common a, a side effect too though that it you it can be a downer to some but can also induce activity heightened activity in others so that's common um when you told me that you like to work on the car and do stuff i thought you were crazy but i i can i can remember the first time i took that 7.5 750 um i thought i would be okay i drove to the 7-eleven around the corner i was living in maryland fort washington maryland at the time i drove to the 7-eleven said i gotta get something to drink i was drinking monsters back then this is like 06 uh, I remember standing in line and it hit me suddenly like a rush. And I started kind of feeling like I was going to stumble. So I had to call my ex and I said, hey, you need to come to the 7-Eleven and pick me up. I can't drive back home. And that was all for one. Now, you know, when you take them for so long, your tolerance builds up. You end up having to take more and more and more and more to get little to no effect. Yeah. And that's when it becomes dangerous and you start seeing overdoses. Yeah, man. And I, I know I know with... um heroin same same thing it's like a heroin addict knows what they 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 know what they're looking for they never get that that same high that they originally got but that's the high they're chasing and sometimes they keep shooting more or I, can you smoke i think you could smoke heroin these days right and take it in other forms other than shooting it yeah you could smoke you could you got yeah you got black tar and you know, I mean, it comes in a lot of different forms. You got bases, so you can shoot it, you can smoke it. You know, it's a lot of varieties and a lot of ways that people in, in, in intake heroin now. Yeah. So however, you know, however people choose to do it, you you do a little bit and you don't get that feeling. So you're like, OK, maybe I just need a little bit more. Same thing. You don't get that feeling. OK, maybe I need just a tad bit more. You don't get that feeling and you, you one more time. OK, maybe just a little bit more, but more than the other times combined. And next thing you know, you need someone to run up on you with some Narcan because you done overdosed. There's that. And then uh, P, I know you can speak to Baltimore, but uh, as far as the fentanyl and the the people, they, they don't even heroin ain't even heroin no more in Baltimore. And people want it's like, what would the guy say? The drug dealer, if somebody dies, his business goes up because they know he has some real strong shit. And it, it sounds strange to people who don't know that life 
but that's kind of like your your sales pitch we would run a lot of overdoses when i was in the department but that was before fentanyl and carfentanyl started being cut into the heroin um frankly like like dan said you chase that first high with people that take heroin and it's never the same and after a while they end up not being able to find it and then they have these serious withdrawals and and people get desperate so what people started to do was they started cutting it with fentanyl which is the most one of the most powerful it's one of the most powerful opiates you can get now the things more powerful than fentanyl are things that are for like animals um but they would cut they would cut the heroin with fentanyl to make it feel more powerful and the funny thing about heroin is that people that fentanyl is more powerful than heroin but it's cheaper than heroin and so they're adding small amounts of fentanyl into the heroin and you know a couple milligrams of fentanyl can kill a person so these people may not know how much fentanyl they're getting and you know they'll they may have shot up some earlier that day and then later on they shoot up more and it's a fatal dose and it sends them into an overdose and and you know medics and fire departments are nationwide are running these overdoses everywhere and it's not just the inner city it's in it's big time in areas like west virginia and rural environments and um as as like we alluded to earlier the prevalence of abuse amongst people in with mental illnesses is you know it's amazing you know it's just people are trying to find a better way and apparently the way that they were using within the system isn't working for them so they feel as though they have to go to the street yeah and the the crazy thing too is I've seen a lot of stories and, and it saddens me, but um I've seen a lot of stories where people lose their kids and I, I know someone well, I know of someone personally who who's done this. They lose their kids because they can't keep their drug habits in check and eventually, you know, either CPS or the police or someone swoops in and says, yo, you can't have these kids. And you would think that would be enough. Like, like P asked, uh, what made you know, Hey, what made you stop drinking? I can't point to one thing, but I could tell you if I had children and this is just me. Cause I know everyone can't do this, but if I had children and someone took my children away from me and said, uh, Hey, you can't have your children back until you stop drinking. I believe that I would stop drinking immediately, but I've seen people continue after losing their children who are supposed to be getting clean, still, still doing these drugs, man. And they, it's like, they don't care it's, for this one particular person. It's been two and a half years now, lost their child two and a half years and they're still doing drugs. They can't get clean to get their damn uh, kid back. Those drugs take a hold. It makes people do things they would never do otherwise. And, you know, losing your kids and stuff, I can imagine it creates another challenging situation for the addict because they feel as though their life is in shambles. And if they're already taking drugs or drinking to avoid uh, to numb themselves or to forget about stuff, then I can only imagine losing your kids and having to deal with that doesn't help. Now, I'm not saying that the kids shouldn't go away. I'm not saying that at all, because obviously the children are in danger. But, you know, when these people, especially I'm going to bring up heroin again. You know, the withdrawals from heroin and opiates, especially heroin, it can kill a person. And people may not understand that, but a lot of these addicts in the street, they take heroin every day, three to four times a day, not because it makes them high, but because if they don't take it, they get sick. So if you see someone who lost their kids, 
or went through it, you know, lost a lot of stuff, money, jobs, whatever, and they still are shooting up or still abusing drugs. You know, there are a lot of reasons that can keep people in that downward spiral. And, you know, frankly, people think they can do things by themselves or they feel they can keep themselves in check. When you're that far down, you can't do it by yourself. Nah. What's up? It's your boy, CEO Hayes, host of The Awakened Soul Podcast, a weekly podcast for an insightful and vivifying look at music, movies, TV, pop culture, but more importantly, how it all relates to us culturally and globally. The Awakened Soul can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, basically Anywhere the podcast can be heard, you can find The Awakened. So we also air in syndication on the radio in several states. I'll be looking out for you guys. The Awakened Soul Podcast, hosted by the one and only CEO Hayes. Peace. Going going on to, to the next thing as far as uh, addiction is, and, and the same person, I'll use them as an example. Uh they the court system ordered them to go to rehab right the rehab they had to go to was about three and a half to four hours away as far as in a car and the reason the court um said they need to go there is because they need to be removed from the environment that they're in now where they have access to people to their drug dealers to whoever else so it was a court order program in like uh, I'm going to just say Shreveport, Louisiana, which is like five hours from New Orleans. Right. So in theory, that should work. Right. You, you go into a rehab center. You have trained professionals who deal with um, addiction, the withdrawal symptoms and things of that nature. You don't have access to your drug dealer anymore. You don't have access to anyone from your life because you're so far away. So you would imagine that would work, no? Well, those it's almost like if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. You know, it and ultimately people there was a show, um, I don't know if anyone watched that show last week tonight with John Oliver. Last season he did a show targeting these rehab clinics. And even the ones that the that the law enforcement agencies and the judicial system refer people to, many of these addiction services are not l- totally legitimate. I mean, frankly, the the issue is there is no widely accepted way to treat an addict. Different facilities have different ideas and different philosophies and different treatment patterns. And they often don't know how a person is doing once they leave that facility. Now, obviously, when you're there, you typically won't you shouldn't have access to your your your, your vice, your drug. But when you leave, you know, in jail, they use the word. What's the word? Re- re- recidivism. I think that's the word when you return back to jail. Yeah. When you return back to jail. Well, these clinics, they don't really under, they don't know what that rate will be because they're not necessarily guaranteed to end up back in that clinic. So just because somewhere is a rehab clinic and they, you know, have a contract with a government or a local agency, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work out for you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have exactly the best idea of how to treat someone effectively. Right. Yeah, I I agree with with that 100 percent, because in in this particular instance, she ended up 
she got access to a phone somehow and phones somebody to come pick her up from this rehab facility five hours away. So she skipped the rehab. She made it maybe two or three days and ended up back in the city of New Orleans um, doing heroin. And so the court was like, okay, well, you know what? It's not jail, but next time, next time you're in here for possession or for whatever, we're sending you to jail. So they kept her kid. Kid was in foster care and she was running around doing heroin. And it's like, okay, I finally want to get clean now. Uh, I want to get my son back. And, you know, addicts and I, I don't mean this in to to slight them or to um to sound fucked up. But addicts always want to get clean when they're high. They don't ever want to get clean when they're not high. So. She, you know, oh, yeah, I'm I'm going to get clean. I'm going to get my son back and, you know, get my life together and get a job and do this and that. And, yeah, sure. It sounds great to you when you're high. And she decided to do a at home um, at home detox or whatever you call it, rehabilitation, where I'm going to go stay with my parents and they could monitor me. To make sure, you know, I'm not dying. Um, I, She went to a Suboxone clinic and that's Suboxone. That's another opioid that I think it doesn't cross the blood brain barrier or something like that to where it doesn't get you high. But if you do any heroin afterwards, that doesn't get you high either. I, I think that's how it works. I, don't quote me. I don't know. But she was going to try to detox at home. At her parents' house. So her parents was like, oh, yeah, we're going to help you. Uh, You know, we'll take a couple days off work and, you know, sit around the house with you. So day one, uh, she her parents found heroin in her belongings. So she was there at the house to rehabilitate herself or to get clean, but had heroin. So they got rid of the heroin. Day two, they wake up. All their valuables are gone. All their wedding rings, um, all kinds of jewelry, family heirlooms, uh, her father's tools. Uh, her father's a construction worker. So as you can imagine, he had thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of tools. All that shit was gone. She took it all and left. And it's like, Jesus Christ. When those drugs start calling, man. I mean, like you said, no one thinks about getting clean when they're not high. Because when you're not high, you start to feel the effects of not being high. And your whole existence yeah. is, I got to get these, I got to get these drugs. And, you know, sadly, a lot of those cases end up in overdose. And, you know, the, the, the number of overdoses is, is, is staggering, especially if you, you know, couple, I'm sorry, if you uh, look at the stats from 1999 to 2017, you know, once again, from the uh, NIH, uh, you know, 30,000 overdoses in 2017 the drugs involved 30,000 of those almost were opioids other than methadone 15,000 was heroin you know so so it's a it's it's the numbers are staggering because in 1999 every last one of those numbers was under 5,000 now you go from 5,000 to 30,000 in you know almost 20 years you know that's that's except that's that is like exceptional and um another stat that I saw drugs, uh, deaths involving opioids from 2002 to 
2017, it went up. Uh, yeah. I want to say, what was it? 500%. And that's only from 2002 to 2017. So, you know, sadly, man, when you're in those states like you described, a lot of times they end up in overdosing. A lot of times the people that abuse these drugs, they know it. Most of them have overdosed, some of them over a dozen times before. But, you know, typically you don't get lucky forever. And that one overdose, that one time may be your last one. Yeah. And I, I'd hate for that to happen to anybody. Uh, you really you never want to hear about somebody overdosing and dying, especially in in this person that I've been talking about in her case where she has a family and kids and people who actually care about her. Let me let me ask you this, too. I've reached out to someone on Twitter, a friend on Twitter who is a, a nurse, a medical professional. Right. How do you think that addicts are viewed in the medical system? So, all right, we know you can go to rehab and rehab can treat your um, your withdrawal symptoms and they know what to do. But OK, let's say you can't afford to go to rehab or there's no programs in your area for you and you do have to do it on your own. Right. Like you said, P, you can die from the withdrawal symptoms for, from opiates. And from alcohol, too, if you're in deep enough, you can you can die from that shit. How do you think or even in your experience, how did you guys view addicts uh, when you ran these calls and people were either going through severe withdrawals or overdoses? Um, I can imagine that people would look at them and say, oh, well, you did this to yourself. Like, how, how did you guys view them and how do you think the medical community views them? Well, surprisingly, when you run these calls, you don't really have time to think like that. You, you your, your training kicks in and you just go to work. Um, you run the same people over and over again. You know, I have I've run people who've overdosed multiple times. You give them Narcan, uh, you know, you kind of get up, get back up a little bit when they come to because they may not be happy with you. And, you know, you the, a lot of time after you give them the Narcan, they'll refuse to go to the hospital. Um, you know, and then you just kind of say, man, you know, we'll probably be running this guy again. Hopefully next time he's, it's not a, you know, he's not dead, but, uh, you don't really think about that. Now I can't speak in the hospital setting because even though I'm, I was, you know, I'm no, no longer working there now, but I was a trained medical professional and a first responder. When we, once we drop you off at the hospital, you're out of our hands. So I can't speak for how people in a hospital setting would view uh, because they may be they may they'll spend a lot more time with them than us. But I'm speaking from my experience. We may run five, six, seven overdoses in a shift. And that was not unreasonable when bad batches were floating around route one. Um, you just kind of went with the flow, treated them as you came and and dealt with it. And that's pretty much how us in the medic EMS uh, first responder side viewed a lot of the addicts. You know, I mean, sure, when you when you're back at the station, you have time to reflect and you. You kind of be like, man, you know, they got it bad or wondering why, why, why these people keep doing the same stuff. But I would hope that that no one I worked with was purposely mistreating addicts because they had a personal vendetta or issue with them, even though they're supposed to not, you know, think of them that that way and treat them as such because they're supposed to be their their life saving first line of, you know, uh, treatment. Yeah, I, w- I would hope not. I would hope no one um, views addicts as such. But uh, 
One thing we do as a society is we look down on people who we think are less than or even the the downtrodden. Like, for instance, look at the people that are the homeless people that walk the middle of busy intersections with the cardboard signs. We've as a society, we've uh, we've kind of trained ourselves to see them as invisible. Right now, I know a lot of them are scammers. We have a lot of them in New Orleans, but that's also how we've trained ourselves to look at homeless people for real, for real, like not asking for money, like just living on the streets. We we don't even look at them. We like walk past them and we see them and we purposely go out of our way not to look at them, not to make eye contact with them because we we view them. And I'm, I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm just speaking at general consensus. We view them as less than us. There's a reason they are where they are. They did it to themselves and what have you. So I can imagine being an addict going through a withdrawal. You you already you get labeled when you go to the ERs, when you go to the hospitals as a pill seeker or as a, a drug seeker. And like, where do you go then when you need medical help, when you're going through a withdrawal? So I reached out to a medical professional, a nurse that I know on Twitter. Her name is Mercy uh, at Lamborghini underscore Mercy, M-E-R-C-I. So I said to her, I said, a quick question for you, if you don't mind. I'm doing research for a topic about substance abuse and withdrawal, mainly opiates. I wanted to know if you've ever experienced having to treat someone going through severe withdrawal. My argument is that people viewed as, quote, junkies probably get poor medical care because they're viewed as you did this to yourself rather than a person who really needs help. Right. So her response is my scope of practice is medical slash uh, surgical nurse. So I've taken care of patients going through withdrawal, but not severe. Those in severe withdrawal go to the ICU. But I did sit with patients in that setting as a nurse's aide. With that being said, there is a stigma attached to that kind of patient. But in a hospital setting, their safety is our main concern. The argument that you did this to yourself is not at all what we think when treating patients suffering from addiction. I'd say the overarching sentiment is that he or she will be back and will have to suffer through this process over and over again. So like like P said, a recidivist. So that, that kind of surprises me. Not that I'd expect a medical professional to say, yeah, we look at those people like they're pieces of shit, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, it's just from experience, and, and she pretty much said, I guess it's similar in the hospital setting, too. Like she, you know, scope of practice, you know, uh, you have responsibilities. You know, your scope of practice is what you what you do. Like, you know, whatever you're, you're you know, in, in, a, in a hospital setting, you know, whether you're in a uh, uh, maternity ward or allergies or something like that. Well, you know, EMS in the first responder field, you you are. Your scope of practice is any medical emergency someone calls 911, uh, you know, for. So you have to do with that. You have to have a wide variety of, um, you know, possibilities that you're thinking about before you get on scene. So 
if you allow personal judgments to cloud your, you know, to, to, to you know, get into your mind based on the type of call you're going to run, it may impact your treatment. If your treatment is affected in any way or you're distracted, you can make that person a lot worse. There's a thing that we say in, in, in the medical field and fire department EMS is your goal is to not is to leave someone at the hospital in the same or better condition than you found them. You don't want them to be in a worse condition than when you found them by your hand. Now, naturally, their condition may deteriorate naturally based off of whatever they're calling for. For example, they may call you with heart, with chest pain, and when they when you get them on the back of the medic unit, they may go into cardiac arrest. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, example, if someone sprains their ankle or breaks their ankle and they have a closed fracture, you want to splint that ankle and move them, and you don't want to turn that fracture into an open fracture because you messed up. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're thinking about oh this guy again this frequent flyer we call him frequent flyers here he goes again still doing those drugs I'm so sick of this guy you know actually in actuality it's against the law if you if if you can be proven that you gave someone different medical care based off of a personal opinion like for example um, when someone is being belligerent towards the medics and then they want to use a bigger IV needle I've seen that happen. Oh, we're going to get him, you know, we're going we're gonna to use a 16 or whatever. And, the, you know, you do it to hurt them. If they can prove that, that's a serious crime. But um, like you said, Dan, human humans are messed up people. And even though in theory you shouldn't think that way, I'm pretty sure I've run calls before where people allowed uh, personal judgments cloud their performance and treatment of a patient. I, I can definitely see see that happening, man. So let's let's do this right quick. Um, let's run down just from what we know some of the withdrawal symptoms for, let's say, first, uh, SSRIs, SNRIs, uh, psychiatric drugs in general. Like, I'll start by saying that those are generally viewed as safe, much like opiates used to be, because they're from a doctor, right? Uh, a lot of people don't know this about psychiatric medicine, especially antidepressants is in most cases, if you've been taking them for a while, you cannot stop cold turkey. You just can't wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm done with this shit. I'm, I'm I feel fine. I'm not taking this medication anymore or I can't afford this medication anymore and stop because you will go into same thing. It's a withdrawal, but your, your brain, man, like I I know. And I was telling Jaden this last week too. I know a handful of people who have attempted suicide or ended up doing something uh, real stupid. Like we were talking about at the top of the show, quitting their jobs, just not wanting to leave uh, their, their homes because the depression came back two, three, four times as hard and kick their ass, man. So um, what are some of the symptoms that you know of as far as not taking your psychiatric medicine? You have to be really careful when you're on these medicines. And I'm not demonizing the medicines. I'm saying you have to be in, you have to be monitored with your physician and you have to be honest with your physician about how you feel and listen to what they say. Listen to their advice. Uh, tell them how you feel. If you feel uh, sick, let them know. 
If you feel like you're taking it too much, let them know. If you feel like your mental state has gone down, let them know. If you stop taking them, theoretically, they would trail you off and not cut you cold turkey. I'm just speaking from my experience and what I know about some of these medications, too, because we studied pharmacology, um, you know, in, as a job in the job. So you, you have to let them know. Um, a lot of time people just think I'm not going back to that doctor. Um, but you have to tell them because these side effects from withdrawals can be dangerous. I mean, they can cause you to react violently. They can cause you to, you know, harm yourself. They cause you to do things that aren't uh, smart, like quitting your job, act impulsively, uh, harm others. You can get sick. You know, you, you may feel like you have the flu, you, you, you know, vomit, not nausea, diarrhea, uh, migraine, headaches, cold sweats. Um, you know, uh, your heart flutters, you know, you, you get chills. So, you know, it, it can range from uh, behavioral all the way to physical. And if you don't treat yourself correctly and you don't talk to your physician, you know, you may set yourself up for a lot of pain, um, you know, just because you, you, you decided to stop taking these meds because you can't just take you can't just stop taking them cold turkey. You, you just for most of them, you just you just can't. And, and others like benzo, such as Valium, Ativan, Di, uh, you know, uh, Clonopin, those aren't meant to be taken for long term. So the longer you take those, the higher your tolerance gets and also the more unstable you can become uh, from taking them. So you really have to be careful if you, you know, it's not put it this way. It's not recommended to dose yourself. I know the show is about self-medication because that's what a lot of mental, mentally ill people do to seek uh, a, a cure right now to cure, you know, their feelings of negativity right now. But you really are playing with fire if you try to self-medicate, self-dose and self-regulate outside of right. the advice and oversight of a physician. Yeah, I, I guess. Well, as far as with um, benzos, right, I've been taking benzos since 2016. It's now 20. Well, 2019 now um so really about two years and the way ladies and gentlemen you can tell it's 2019 is these fucking fireworks are still going off but uh i i haven't had any withdrawal symptoms thankfully and i'm guessing it's because i don't take them frequently enough to withdraw or at high high enough dosages so what I take uh, for my anxiety is five milligrams of Valium, usually in the evenings. And Valium has a long, what do you call it? A long half-life. Half-life. So I can feel its effects. Well, let me not use the word feel so people don't, you know, get the wrong idea. But it works into the next day uh, as far as helping with panic attacks and things of that nature. I've gone weeks taking a volume a day, sometimes two, right? Then I've gone weeks, if not longer, without taking any volume. So I think taking them as prescribed really does help as far as with addiction and withdrawal, because I can sit here and 100% say that I'm not addicted to benzos. How about you, P? I started taking benzos in a 2008 i started with ativan but i switched to valium in about 2009 2010 i haven't taken any in about a year but i got to the point where my tolerance got so high that i was taking 
you know, a max dosage of a Valium is 10 milligrams. I was taking 50 milligrams a day. And, you know, it just got to the point where I felt as like it wasn't worth it for me anymore. Um, you know, you start to say and do strange things you don't necessarily remember. That's a side effect. Um, it helps. I wasn't taking it because I was addicted. It's just the point is your tolerance gets so high that it becomes almost ineffective. Um, so I decided that it wasn't worthwhile for me anymore. Um, but I never suffered any withdrawal symptoms from when I stopped taking it. I just stopped taking it. I always only took it as needed, but um, I just haven't taken it in a while. It works for what it's for, but um, there are people who abuse it. I don't understand how. But there are people that abuse Valiums, uh, which surprises me. And I'm pretty sure you feel the same way, Dan, about how can people abuse Valium? I I don't understand. I find that shit not enjoyable. And when I say that, usually when you abuse some sort of um, medication or drug, alcohol even, um, you're getting some kind of enjoyment out of it, right? I don't get any enjoyment out of taking Valium. Um, when I was taking Klonopin, I don't get didn't get any enjoyment out of taking Klonopin. I see these guys on the internet, like some jackass, and I'm not calling him a jackass because he uses drugs. I'm calling him a jackass because he's a jackass. He uh, the dude. I don't. What's that clown's name, man? Who goes around jumping on tables and just doing stupid shit. He got all them face um, tattoos and oh, uh, the black dude. Yeah, um, is it Queens Flip or that Fat Boy SSE dude? Nah, it ain't Fat Boy. I know that dude. Um, I don't know. It, it's the dude that Fat Boy got the tattoos on his face, and Fat Boy got the tattoos on his face, and Queens Flip is the one that jumps through the tables and be trashing people's. Uh, like he trashed the uh set of uh breakfast club ones it's all an act but that's the one that's the other guy but he doesn't have any face tattoos nah this dude he he wants to be the black joker i I don't know his name but the dude's an asshole he goes around fucking with people and there was an interview with him he was on another podcast and in the middle of the podcast the dude just starts leaning forward and then fall you know fall falling out oh damn who the hell i remember yeah who is that I, I i know what you're talking about now but i can't remember who it is i know exactly what you're talking about now man that that dude he's a great like uh, what bunk boink or something something like that bunk or boink i i don't know his name but yeah man i see people like him online and or even the guy who died what's the guy um shit the the white kid who died from they called it oh, a Xanax yeah. overdose pump. Yeah, or I, I got an argument. Yeah, yeah, I forget his name too. Little something, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. But I see these guys online and they take uh, Xanax. They promote the use of Xanax recreationally, and I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you want to take something that? I mean, if y'all out here want to feel that shit go to cvs get you a box of benadryl and take a bunch of them because that's all it does is it slows you down makes you tired and you end up going to sleep like that's not enjoyable that's not recreational that's like the people that love to drink that lean but you know and i'm talking about like half a cup that's a lot you know to the point it's called lean for a reason you you, you lean over and you're in a daze 
you know, and I just don't understand that either. You, I, I was laughing at a video on Instagram by a guy named Hi Hi Davis. If you have, if you don't follow him on Instagram, follow him. He's funny. That's the dude he from did a DC. Video. No, he's from Detroit, I think. He did a funny video uh, today. He does videos where he pretends to be thinking about a situation, like what you're thinking about as you go through something. And he had a situation where uh, today, where what you think, what you're thinking when you sip it, when you're drinking lean. And he was just dozing off. And he said, I paid $1,500 for this shit and sleep is free. <laughs> and that's kind of what I'm thinking about, too. It's like you pay all this money to abuse a drug that's going to put you to the point where you are a zombie. I don't get it. I really don't get it, man. I Yeah, I, I would never that that I can think of uh, misuse benzo. So to move it along, opiate withdrawal, man, that that's just dangerous now. I've dabbled with opiates. I, I've never taken them long term. And I can say with certainty that I've experienced withdrawal effects of just regular old Vicodin, Percocet, whatever it may be. And not even using them recreationally. Um, as Mercy was saying, she works as a, a nurse in, uh, I'm assuming, surgical uh, I don't have the tweet open now, but when I had my my knee, for instance, I use that. I was given painkillers for I was given 60 a month for like three months and taking 60 painkillers a month for three months and then stopping. Man, that was kind of rough. And some of the things I remember is and I didn't know until way after that that was withdrawal sleepless nights i couldn't i couldn't sleep i would be dead tired i could not go to sleep i never knew what restless leg syndrome was i thought that was some made-up bullshit man take take some vicodin for like two or three months you'll see what that shit what restless leg syndrome is it's when no you have to move your legs because no matter what your legs are uncomfortable and uh, I remember waking up a few nights. This this happened. This went on for about four days. Um, I went on waking up to in, in cold sweat, soaking the sheets um, to the point where I had to get up and change the bedding, uh, being just irritable for a couple of days and diarrhea. That's man. Diarrhea for a couple of days, too, will make you rethink your very existence. So though, and that's minor shit, mind you, because I was taking this shit as prescribed. So I never even thought to tell my doctor, yo, I'm getting these symptoms or whatever. I just thought I was sick. And like P said earlier, flu like symptoms that that came along with it, too. And again, this was all this wasn't what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Recreational. This was as prescribed, man. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah, I had the same symptoms before, you know, it's we described heroin withdrawal a little while ago, how it can kill you. I mean, I know a lot of people saw in the movie Ray. That's what he was going through um, when he was in that with that, that center for a while and tossing and turning and sick, throwing up um, that stuff. It's called heroin sick. That will that can kill you. And even with low grade opiates like Percocet, Vicodin. Etc. If you take it for so long, your body gets to the point where it needs it because you have receptors in your brain, opioid receptors, and your body ends up pretty much needing it. And when you cut it off, it makes you sick. 
I've had issues of, you know, I get terrible migraines. Same thing like Dan said, diarrhea. Uh, you feel like you have the flu. Your stomach hurts. Your head hurts. You get the chills. You feel like you have a fever. Your muscles are sore. They ache. It's brutal. And that's only just from, you know, as prescribed use of opiates. So people who really have it bad, you can see why, uh, like we said earlier, it takes hold and people do horrible things to satisfy that craving because many times, man, they're just taking it to avoid being sick because that sickness is something terrible. And home remedies or OTC over the counter stuff for I, I can't speak to uh, psychiatric medications because I'm not sure that there are any. Uh, but for opiate withdrawal in in preparation for this show, I, I just wanted to look at some of the options people have out here as far as, OK, you want to get clean. You might not be that bad to where you need to go to rehab. Maybe maybe you do or maybe you can't get to rehab some home remedy shit to help uh, remedy the withdrawal symptoms. P, do you know of any? Because I, oh, I mean, yeah. I, I came up with a few just, you know, researching or what, whatever. But what you got? It's a few that are common in almost everyone's household. Benadryl is a good one. Um, it's called dif- uh, what is it? Diphenhydramine. No, diphenhydronate. That's Benadryl. Um, that helps. Uh, we talked about Valium. That's by, by prescription, but Valium and benzos are also effective to fight against withdrawal symptoms from opiates. And um, also something that I keep in the house at all times is Dramamine, Diphenhydramine. You know, those and Benadryl have similar names, but together those are very good uh, for fighting withdrawal symptoms. Yeah, so I, I did see a, a lot of you know what you just said the benadryl the um benzos and of course if you're not prescribed benzos that they can be hard to get your hands on or you can be uh trading one addiction for another uh some of the otc stuff is emodium emodium is actually it's an opiate now i don't know how that shit works so i mean i'm not a pharmacologist or whatever i just know that it was designed this is in, you know, research. Um, it was designed to be a painkiller or some sort of an opiate, uh, opioid painkiller back in the day. But it never really worked. All, only thing it did was constipate people. So they put it on the market as anti-diarrhea medicine. So I was reading that that really helps with um, the opiate withdrawal, because not only are you stopping the diarrhea, which can lead to dehydration and all kinds of other issues, but you're also introducing uh, opiate into your into your bloodstream. It might not get you high, but it helps with the withdrawal symptoms. And I also did read in the same article that people abuse emodium for that reason. Oh. I can't horrible. Yeah, I can't imagine that shit. I mean, imagine how much emodium you have to have before you, you get high or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like the hell with that. Well, shoot, I, opiates, opiates constipate you enough taken regularly. So you imagine taking emodium that's designed to constipate <laughs> you and you got to take that much. Jeez, man, that's that sounds horrible. Hell yeah. You be. Yeah, you won't you won't shit for a week. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Yeah. So Imodium, you know, that's that's one of those things that that can help uh, a lot of vitamins, vitamin um, 
B complex, uh, a lot of vitamin C and things like that. But there's a withdrawal guide. And I found this, too. Um, I found it on Reddit while searching for um, for stuff for this show. There's a guide and it's like almost like a opiate withdrawal handbook. So if you do have a problem and you're trying to get clean, go go check it out. Uh, accidental. Well, I have another one. Go ahead. I have, I have another one real quick. What you got? Another cure for withdrawals from, say, Percocet Vicodin is Percocet and Vicodin. <laughs> if you're withdrawing from Percocet, just take Vicodin, right? No, just just take some more. You're like, <laughs> hey, fuck it. <laughs> hey, Doc, I've been kicking uh my withdrawals ass. How you been doing it? <laughs> By taking Percocet. <laughs> <laughs> More Percocet, Doc. (laughs) Do you have any advice for someone who may be struggling with either mental illness and addiction or substance abuse or or just substance abuse in general and addiction? As bad as your life is and as much as you think the opiates help you feel better, it doesn't. It doesn't last long. Your problems are still there. And ultimately, if you don't stop, your problems are going to grow and you're going to have more problems, which is probably going to make you take more uh, substances and going to cause more problems. So my advice is no matter how bad it is, try your best to seek the proper help and not to get a false sense of uh, happiness from substances that are only temporary and just band-aids on a gaping wound that's only going to come back even worse once you finish because uh it's 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 all it's not worth it in the in the grand scheme of things it's just not worth it nah man um i i i would second that it's not worth it but i also know just from having alcoholics and addicts uh in my family and and knowing them that there ain't shit you could tell them anyway you got to be ready to stop exactly and that, that's why that that's why rehab doesn't work a lot of times when it's court ordered and stuff like that. So what I would say is and th- don't take this the wrong way, people. But if you're going to use drugs, go ahead. Use drugs. Just do it responsibly. I mean, if you like opiates, heroines and stuff like that, be sure that you have Narcan. You can get it for free. Um, If you you're shooting up drugs and shit. Make sure you're using clean needles. You can get those for free too. And I know that sounds very counterintuitive and like I'm cool with drug use. No, I just know that it, there's not much you can tell someone who's an addict. So if you're gonna do it, just you're living talk. in the you're living in the real world. That that's what you're doing. You're living in the real world. Of course, it's not ideal, but like you said, if people are gonna do it, at least do it safely. Exactly. Just like, you know, having having sex. Shit. I mean, go do that shit safe, man. So I guess, you know, that that wraps up the the episode. And I today um, on episode six, we kind of went over uh, wanting people to blow up and lose limbs and shit because they keep doing all these damn fireworks and how people in the South don't give a shit about public health or public safety. Um, we went on to talk about some of our pet peeves, things that really bug us and, you know, just trying to see if being mentally ill has anything to do with that. 
Um, lastly, the we mentioned we mentioned crack. We mentioned crack. Uh, every we ep- mentioned crack. Every episode, crack. <laughs> no brains. We didn't mention brains though. Uh, just did. Brains. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, we our our main discussion was substance abuse, self medication, uh, addiction, things like that. Going through withdrawal. Um alcohol me being an alcoholic at an early age for uh multiple years not having a drink in quite a long time um p to recreationally taking his um leftover medication from surgeries and it curing his anxiety and um ptsd and stuff like that same same with me um luckily we didn't get sucked you know, that's that's a rabbit hole. You don't want to go down. So luckily, we were fortunate enough to say, hey, man, you know, fuck that shit. I ain't being no damn drug addict. Um, functioning addicts. We talked about them. Uh, we talked about rehab somewhat. Some withdrawal symptoms from psychiatric medications, from alcohol, from opiates, some over-the-counter remedies if you're going through withdrawal opiate withdrawal um shared a interaction with the nurse a shout to mercy thank you very much for the the input and that that's really it hope you guys walk away with something uh this episode uh just know that we're that we're not always assholes just most of the time um i'm dan aka dan on drugs you can catch me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. And I'm P and Charlotte. You can catch me on Twitter and IG at Screws Loose Pod. Until next time, people. Peace. Peace.